everyone. I uh, realized that the Veterans Day was yesterday, and we didn't get a chance or or opportunity to uh, honor our veterans, so we're going to do that this morning. Ray isn't here this morning. I don't think he was feeling so well. Ray would have made known for sure that we needed to take care of our our vets. So I'm just going to ask, if you've served served in the military, Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, or if you're currently serving, stand up so we can pray for you. Anybody? Come on, stand up. Stay standing. Stay standing. Father, we thank you for these men and women that have served in our military to defend our country. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for our loved ones that are currently serving, Lord, as well. And we pray, Lord, for those that have served, if there's any any residual, any troubling effects from their time in the service, Lord, we pray continued healing upon them as well. Thank you for their, their, their sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless again. Also, one more thing, um, I was flying out for the pastor's conference last Sunday after service and uh, saw on the news, and I think we've all saw that, the uh, 26 people that were, died, that were killed and 20 wounded at that uh, First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. And it just breaks my heart, because you look at the church and you go, man, it looks like our church. It could be any one of our churches here like that, and, and just realize that, you know, people, they're messed up, and they, they need Jesus, and, and so... I want you to know that, you know, we, we have a head of security here at our church and we have things in place here for, so that doesn't happen uh, set up. And so we are, are uh, uh, that and training even more people for security here in the church. But more than that, I want to pray for those families of those victims that were, that were taken out in that way. Yeah, they're in, in uh, the presence of the Lord, but, but just the hurt from the families that are left behind. So let's pray for them as well. Father, we thank you for your love and grace and your Holy Spirit that gives us peace, Lord, in times of, of hurting and, and sorrow. And I just pray for these families of, of these 26 people that have died, Lord, that you bring that comfort and peace only in the way that your Holy Spirit can. Lord, we pray that this would be a wake-up call to our country, that those that reject you, Lord, these, these things are going to happen, and we need to turn back to you and your ways and your word. And so we pray for comfort uh, for this family's Lord and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, with that said, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Calvin's up, and he'll bring one right to your seat if you need one to follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, and we'll glance at verse 9 this morning as well. Peter is writing in First Peter, which is a good thing. Um, starts in verse 1 of chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then drop down to verse 9. You are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The title of my message this morning is, It's Time to Make a Change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this place where we can hold your word upon our laps, read it with with Lord, with uh, knowing that you are, are here, your spirit's here, wanting to teach us from your word. And so, we, Lord, we pray your blessing upon our time together, Lord, your anointing upon our time together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their hearts and life to you and to, to know you as Lord and Savior, that they would not wait any longer, Lord, but they would come to know you as, as we do, Lord, as, as their King, our, our Messiah. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I found a story about a middle-aged woman who had a heart attack, and she was taken to the hospital. While on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. Seeing God, she asked, is my time up? God said, no, you have another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. Well, upon hearing that, the woman thought, hey, I'm going to stay in the hospital. I'm going to have a facelift, a liposuction, a tummy tuck. She even had someone change her hair color while she was there. Since she had so much time to live, she figured she might as well make the most of it. Well, she's finally released from the hospital, but while crossing the street on her way home, she was killed by a car. Arriving in front of God, she cried out, I thought you said I had another 43 years. Why, did, why didn't you pull me out of the path of that car? God replied, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> Listen, all of us have felt the need in our lives at some point for self-improvement. Oftentimes it comes in the form of like a New Year's resolution. Oh, this year I'm going to, you fill in the blank. But let's face it, you know, we are never completely satisfied with ourselves. So we may decide to, to lose a few pounds or get some teeth fixed or do something with the hair that you have left. But because but, we're concerned with our outward appearances. But we also are concerned with our inward tendencies. We may be unhappy with our behaviors. We try to, to overcome the tendency, say, to fly off the handle or to be critical in our speech. We may dislike certain habits. I'm having trouble with my mic as well. You know, maybe you know, we're not happy. I'm, I'm playing too many video games. Or I'm watching too much TV. Now, some folks, they have, you know, far more difficult battles that they face. Perhaps they're compulsive spenders or, or gamblers or, or, or they have become enslaved to alcohol or drugs or have serious problems of uncontrolled anger or they inflict physical pain and injury on themselves or, or those in their family. Whatever the dissatisfaction we may have, as simple as losing a few pounds to something more dangerous that brings hurtful pain to ourselves and loved ones, we all know that significant changes, they're not really. There are a number of organizations out there that have been established to help people overcome their weaknesses uh, that they, so they can live happy and productive lives like Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and, you know, you hear places like Alcoholics Anonymous and anger management classes. And some of these programs do have a, a measure of success, but even some of their own leaders admit that these programs do not produce the radical inner change that is needed in people. They just enable folks to, to strengthen their own willpower by following a prescribed set of guidelines to avoid certain triggers that may cause them to fall. For example, the alcoholic must stay away from the bars and, and you know, sports bars and, and, and liquor stores to avoid giving into those things. 
Uh, he must still think of himself as an alcoholic and not claim that he's been cured of his drinking problem. But the ra- reality of it is, it's only his behavior that has been altered. On the other hand, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes far beyond human efforts. It's not just behavior modification or the acquisition of a new lifestyle, but it's a complete inter- interchange of a person. The Bible speaks of this transformation in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become. At the moment of conversion, that person is now, now a brand new nature dwelling inside of him or her. They have been born again. Regeneration has taken place. God has freed us from the power of those things that used to control us. And as we begin our walk down with the Lord, with our Christ, we allow Him then to change our appearance. That is taking those things that are ugly in our lives and replacing those with those things that, that are beautiful. We're told in Isaiah chapter 61.3 that it's God who gives beauty for ashes. He gives joyous blessings instead of mourning and festive praise instead of despair. Now as new believers, having new natures, we're not to remain spiritual infants but we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to cast aside works of darkness, that is, those things that were a part of our old life or old nature, and we're to walk in that new life that Christ is given to us. And that's what Peter is letting us know here as we come to chapter 2, that there has to be a change that takes place. And Peter shows us in these, these few verses how to make those changes. Now, I always think of, uh, when it comes to changes, Michael Jackson's song that I really liked, actually, was, was, was the one, Man in the Mirror, where the lyrics go, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, I'm asking him to change his ways, and no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Woo! Okay, that's Michael Jackson. But <laughs> just had to add that in there a little bit. Well, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things that will help us make that change. Three things we can do. Number one, renounce sin. Number two, return to God's word. Number three, realize God's plan. Number one, if you want to make a change, it starts with us renouncing sin. Look at verse one. Peter says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now, when Peter penned this letter, he didn't pen it with chapters and verses. It was a a letter. We don't write letters like that. Chapters and verses came much later to help us in our study of God's Word. But sometimes those chapter breaks are in the wrong place. Because Peter here starts off chapter 2 by saying, therefore. And as we've looked at before, whenever there's a therefore, we want to see what it's there for. Well, in chapter 1, Peter had told us that we have a living hope. He told us that our lives should be marked by that of holiness because of all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And then we were instructed last week that we're to uh, love one another, hold one another up because we've been born again, because God's word lives and abides forever. So too, we will live and abide forever with our Savior, the living word. So because of these things, therefore, Peter says in verse 1, laying aside, he says, and then he lists five things that we're to lay aside. Now that term for lay aside has the idea of casting off a coat or a garment. It's like, you know, you're outside and you're camping, maybe at a bonfire, and you get too close to the fire and your coat catches on fire. Oh, man, you're on fire. You know, you get that thing off as quickly as you can. Now, Peter uses this term because he would understand being in robes. You know, robes at that time, he got too close to the fire. Man, that robe would catch on fire. 
So Peter is saying that this is what he wants us to do with, with the sins of our old nature. Cast it off. Get rid of it. And he lists five specific sins that should never characterize the life of a Christian. Sins we should lay aside, throw away. It, uh, it's the, the sins of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Renounce those sins. Now let's look at those briefly. Number one, he begins with malice, the sin of malice. Laying, laying aside all malice. The Greek word for malice is, is kakia. You know, it sounds bad. You know, it just, you know, malice, kakia. It's a general word for, for ill will. It's an attitude that leads into words that are said and then deeds that are done. In other words, it begins on the inside, but eventually as you speak, it comes out. Malice, ill will. Now, it could be even looking at, looking at it as a complaining, grouchy, grumpy person. Heard about a husband who sat down at breakfast and every day his wife would cook him two eggs, one fried and one scrambled. But this time when he sat down, he looked at the eggs and went, I knew it, you did it again, you fried the wrong egg. I think she might have married the wrong egg, I don't know. He shouldn't have said anything, just shut up and enjoy the egg, but no. See, malice stems from, from a deep-seated hatred and animosity towards others, stemming from a basic selfishness. But isn't that where all sin stems from anyway? A love of self? We're always focused on self. You know, and when we are, it can't be too far from sin. And some people can be so self-focused that it leads them to them this, this deep, dark feeling of animosity towards others. Oh, you know, they don't think about me. They this about me. And, that, you know, and, and, and we, then we start to hate others and want to hurt them. Where somehow we find satisfaction in, 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 you know, when we make them suffer. Malice is really bitterness left unchecked. It's that slow burning anger, not a blow up in your face type of thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Why? Because when bitterness takes root, uh, when bitterness goes unchecked, rather, it takes root. And in turn, it turns into malice. You were wronged, now you want revenge. It may have happened a year ago, it may have happened many years ago, but it's taken root and it's eating at you. You spot them in the grocery store and in your mind you just want to lash out at them, you want to let them have it. That's malice. How opposite that is to our new nature that God has given to us. We looked at last time the importance of, of having love one for another. God's agape love, especially towards other Christians. It's God's command to us. But malice is wishing others harm. And that should be thrown aside, cast off, uh, you know, the moment we entered into that new life with Christ. Listen, if you're harboring ill will towards anyone or wishing them misfortune, let me urge you to repent of that sin right now. It has no place in the Christian life for any reason. Lay it aside, put it away. Now the second sin that we must cast off like a burning garment, Peter says, is to lay aside all deceit, all deceit. Perhaps you've heard the story about uh, uh, when a man's wife was traveling in Europe and she called home and the husband answered and they talked for a while when the wife asked, hey, how's my cat? The husband replied, oh, oh, it died. It's dead. Well, the wife gasped and said, listen, next time, don't be so honest. You should have broken it to me slowly. You've ruined my whole trip. The husband says, well, well what do you mean? Well, the wife said, well, when I first called you, you could have said that the cat was on the roof. And then when I was in Paris, you could have said he was acting kind of sluggish. And then when I called from London, you could have said it was sick. 
And then when I called from New York, you could have said that he was at the vet. And when I finally arrived home, you could have said he was dead. Oh, I'm so sorry, the husband said. I'll try better next time. The wife says, okay, dear. By the way, how's mother? After a long silence, the husband says, uh, she's on the roof. <laughs> Listen, the word deceit, it's a Greek word, dalos. It's where we get our English word, decoy. It refers to cleverness. It refers to trickery. It means to deceive. It means to, to catch with a bait. You know, Peter would know all about that. He was a fisherman. You know, you, you put that bait on there. You know, we use lures that look like you know, fish. We throw them out there to catch them, to deceive something. In the King James Version, it reads guile. It's a clever manipulation of people to serve one owns, one's own personal needs. A person is guilty of the sin when they misquote someone in order to hurt them. They'll use innuendos or, 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 or some small underhanded comments to bring harm to another person or to belittle another person in some way in order to lift themselves up. Another word for this deceit also can be mean a false flattery. You know, in the business world, you see it all the time. They use it regularly to get ahead, you know, the, to make that contract, to get that contract, to make that sell. Man, always loved your company. Man, always loved that. Man, man, you're a great person. Now, now, what do you want to sell me that car for? You know, whatever it is, you know, this flattery to get ahead. It's saying something wonderful about a, about a person because you want to get something in return. Maybe it's a job you want, so you go in for an interview, and, oh, man, I always like that. You're flattering that person. Peter says, cast that aside. That's deceit about silence? Do you know that silence can potentially be deceitfulness? Because there could be those occasions where we hear someone say something when we know for a fact that it's not true, and yet we remain silent. Maybe they're slamming a friend or someone you know, and you can defend that person because you have first-hand knowledge of the facts, but you don't say a word. It's deceit. Cast it off. But look at this progression that Peter paints here. It starts with that, 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 that bitterness, and then it goes unchecked until it takes root and t- turns into malice. And then that takes root and turns into deceit. But then you come to church and because you're here at church, when you see that person, you're so nice to them. Oh, good to see you. I've been praying for you. How you doing? And well, that turns into the next sin that Peter talks about. Hypocrisy. Number three, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy. Everybody knows what, what a hypocrite is. It, you know, it comes from the Greek plays back, back in, in, in the time there when the Greeks would wear masks. And they'd put on these masks that had a happy face or a sad face, and they would pretend to be someone they're not. They were given the name hypocrite, which meant, basically meant a, a stage actor. Now it's become a prominent word even in the English language. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something he or she is not. So if someone pretends to be smarter than they are, or cooler, or hipper than they really are, or more spiritual than they really are, that person is a hypocrite. I read an article about a man who was arrested for impersonating a physician. It wasn't a doctor, but he knew, uh, you know, lots of medical terms. He knew human anatomy. He knew just enough to be dangerous. They caught him because he wrote prescriptions that were the wrong prescriptions several times in a row. And somebody thought in the pharmacy, something's up with this guy. Come to find out he was a medical student and, and didn't have his license at all. He was almost a doctor, but he didn't graduate. He was a hypocrite playing the part of something or someone he was not. My point is that someone, a person can wear a mask on Sunday and as soon as church is over, take the mask off, go back to real life and then bring the mask out next Sunday and stick it on and that's the way they live their life week after week after week. Peter says, lay that aside. Quit putting on a show and trying to appear something that you're not. 
That's like the old preacher who may have not used the best grammar, but he certainly made a great point when he said, be what you are and not what you ain't, because if you ain't what you are, then you are what you think you ain't. Now, the fourth sin that Peter says to lay aside is that of envy. Envy. Now, envy is a, a slippery term. It, it's what one writer has said. It's the last sin Christians will confess because it's so ugly. Envy is what goes on in your heart when somebody is blessed around you and you're mad because they got something, uh, some, some good fortune that happened to them and not to you. It's the attitude of the heart that says, I should have what they have and I don't. The Bible tells us that, that the sin of envy was, was the sin of envy that prompted Joseph's brothers to, to sell him and throw him into the pit and then eventually sell him into slavery. Envy was also the, and the cause of the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron against her brother Moses in Exodus 20. Even Pilate was aware of the fact that the Jewish leaders were calling for the death of Jesus because of envy. Listen, envy has broken friendships by the thousands. It has destroyed the effectiveness of the witness of many churches and has been a main source of harm and destruction in people's lives. That's why it's referred to as the green-eyed monster. Scripture talks about it. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. James puts it this way in James 3.16, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Again, envy comes up when people are thinking more highly of themselves than another and has no place in the life of the child of God. Cast it off, get rid of it, lay it aside. And finally, number five, Peter says you need to cast off evil speaking. Evil speaking. I read a story about a tea for officers and their wives and the commanding general of the base delivered this seemingly endless speech. A young lieutenant grumbled to the woman sitting beside him, what a pompous and unbearable old windbag that slob is. While the woman turned to him, her face red with rage, and said, excuse me, lieutenant, do you have any idea who I am? No, ma'am, the man fumbled. I am the wife of the man you just called an unbearable old windbag. Oh, said the lieutenant, and do you have any idea who I am? No, said the general's wife. Good, said the lieutenant, getting up from his seat, he disappeared into the crowd. <laughs> Evil speaking. A better term is slander, as some translations put it. Literally, the Greek word means to speak down or talk down on someone, gossip, a cheap shot in a conversation. It could be even as simple as rolling your eyes about someone. It could be a sentence that you've left unfinished. You started it, but then you, you ended by saying, oh, oh, well, never mind. I, I don't want to say anything bad. Well, you just did. Uh, you know, you're talking down that person's reputation, backbiting, rumors. Peter's saying it's time to make a change. Lay that stuff aside. It has no place in the child of God. Because now you have a new nature. You've been born again into the family of God. And God wants us to grow. He wants those changes to take place. And the first step in, in that is to renounce sin, strip off, cast off, lay aside those sins of the old life, especially malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all speaking. Listen, you may not gain complete victory overnight, but you will gain victory eventually. How? Well, that brings us to our next point. Return to God's word, number two. See, the key here in renouncing sin is to remove what is bad and replace it with what is good. And what is good? It's a pure milk of the word. Look at verses two and three. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Think about newborn babies. What is the only thing that satisfies them? Food. 2 a.m., that cry in the middle of the night. What do they want? They want food. 
baby has this intense desire for food, for nourishment, and it will stop at nothing until they get their way, until they're fed, even if it's two in the morning. That's what Peter's saying to us this morning. See, when Peter uses this metaphor like babies desiring milk, he's not saying you guys are a bunch of babies. He's not calling them spiritual infants. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, called the Corinthians spiritual infants babies, but that's not what Peter's doing here. In fact, he doesn't mean that at all. In fact, some of them were very mature. Neither is he meaning that we should avoid deep spiritual meaty truths of the word and just love the milky things. You know, no doctrine, just the milky truths. He's not meaning any of those things at all. Rather, he's very simply saying, crave God's truth, just like a baby craves milk. And if you do that, your life will be changed for the better. That's the intent of the passage. It all revolves around a single verb, and I want you to see it for yourself. It's that word desire. Maybe underline it, circle it. As newborn babes, desire. Some translations give you a better word. They say crave it. You know, it's where you, you got to have it. You yearn for it. You require it. It's a Greek word, epipathy. epipathy. It means vigorous, passionate, intense desire. I've got to have God's word. I'm craving God's word. Peter says that you will have this epipathy, this vigorous, passionate, intense desire, if, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So there's, there's, a, there's a condition there. You see, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious, that He's forgiven you of all your sins, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord took away all your guilt, all your shame, and that the Holy Spirit of God has come in to reside in you, the result is you should or you, you'd want to have a deep craving for the Word of God to know Him better. To know this great God of ours more and more. And it's through the Word of God that, that changes start to take place in our lives. And then we turn from evil and turn to good. The Word of God will produce within our lives the opposite of those sins that we already looked at. As we take in the Word of God, as we're craving it in, then those fleshly tendencies will be replaced with godly ones. Once we had malice, now we have forgiveness. Once we had deceit, now we have truth. Once we had hypocrisy, now we're walking in integrity. Once we had envy, now it's love. And in place of evil speech are words of grace and mercy. Words that build up and not tear down. That's why Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word. Now, that doesn't mean just the milk of the words. You know, we need the meat and the potatoes of God's word. But what Peter's saying is, like an infant that desires that milk, so too we need that desire. We need that hunger for God's word. What a sad truth it is today that there are many Christians that have remained spiritual infants because they've never fed upon the truths of God's Word, upon Scripture. But what's even worse is, is that the Christians that are losing their spiritual appetite for the Word because they've been feasting upon other things, things that are not healthy. Sadly, in our day and age, it's getting more and more prevalent for churches to not feed the people the solid Word of God. There are a lot of churches that they are not even giving the pure milk of the Word of God, let alone any meat. Instead, it's watered down or sickening sweet. And Christians are filling their lives with, with spiritual junk food and desserts. Think about, think about it this way. If my wife calls me up and says, Tom, you know, come home for dinner. It's ready. We've got roast beef. We've got gravy. We've got mashed potatoes. We've got corn and carrots and hot biscuits. Just come on home and, and dig in. And I say, great. But on my way home, I stop by Andy's frozen custard. And I get myself a banana pecan hot caramel concrete. The best dessert that they have there. It is really good. Guess what happens when I get home? After my wife kills me and I get resurrected, 
I'm full, right? I'm full. I no longer have that appetite for what is good and what is good for me. And that's the reason many Christians have lost their spiritual appetite is because they filled up on junk food. People are feasting on desserts. And Andy's frozen cup, custard cup full of positive words topped up with some you know, self-help roasted sermonettes, some hot fudging of God's word. I mean, all these dessert terms, because that's what it is. And they have no appetite for the meat of the word of God. But boy, are they flocking for the, for the places for the desserts. Mega churches popping up all over, offering sweet things. Not surprisingly, God said it would be this way. In the last days, Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Listen, to hear that we're all sinners, that we need to lay aside, cast aside these sins, it's not a popular message, but it is a message that's in the Word of God. It's a message that we need to hear if we want God to change our lives. And we need to get back into the Word of God to make those changes. I heard this illustration from a pastor recently, and it was pretty funny. So it's a story about a farmer named uh, Ollie. Ollie was a Lutheran. He lived in a little town out here in the Midwest, a farming community. Everyone in his town was Catholic except Ollie. He was Lutheran. Well, that posed a problem Friday evenings when he would barbecue beef on his backyard porch, and that smell waved through the Catholic community. Because Friday was eat fish only, you know, on Friday night, not meat. And I contested that in my upbringing, that, that Friday nights during Easter, that's what you had to do. So, so the community got together and said, let's go talk to Ollie. So they went to Ollie and said, listen, Ollie, you're like the only Lutheran in this Catholic community, and the nearest Lutheran church is like the next town over, way too far away. Why don't you just convert and be a Catholic, be one of us, join our church, join our community? He thought about it, and he said, that's a good idea. I'll do that. That's a great idea. So the big day came. They arranged it with the priest, and Ollie knelt down on his knees, and the priest stood over him and put his hands on Ollie and said something to the effect, Ollie, you were born a Lutheran, and you were raised a Lutheran, but now, as he sprinkled water and incense on Ollie, but now you're a Catholic. That was it. Ollie got up, gave the guy a big hug, and hugged all of his new friends, and was now a part of the church. Everything went well until Friday evening. Once again, all of Ollie's neighbors could smell beef being barbecued over at Ollie's house. So they go, we got to go talk to Ollie. He, he's changed now. He can't do this. So they went over. And just as they were entering his yard, they peered over the fence. And there was Ollie standing over his barbecue, talking to his beef, saying, you were born a beef, you were raised a beef, and then sprinkling salt and spice on this. But now you're a fish. <laughs> Ollie was bent and determined to eat beef no matter what he craved beef. And he thought, man, if that worked this way, then it's going to work for me. He craved it. He wanted it. Let me ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your spiritual appetite like? I want you to think about that. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being mildly interested, 10 being an intense craving, what is your spiritual appetite like for the Word of God? See, I recall the Lord Jesus saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. He said nothing about casually snacking after righteousness. There are some people who can go a week or two without even opening their Bibles and they feel good about it. It's no big deal to them. They just pull it out on Sunday, mask, and, and go, go for it. What is your craving like? Can you think of a time in your life earlier when you once devoured the Word of God, when you couldn't get enough of it? 
Perhaps it was when you were first saved. A time when you spent more time in God's Word than you do now. And it's time to make a change. It's time to return to God's Word. That brings us to our final point. In order to make a change, we need to renounce sin. Number one. Number two, return to God's Word. And number three, realize God's plan. Now I want to point out three ways in which we realize God's plan and then we'll close. Number one, we realize God's plan for us when we realize we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Part of something bigger than ourselves. In other words, you need to see yourself as one of a great company of believers in what Jesus calls his church. Look at verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now this is again speaking of Jesus Christ coming to him, and Peter uses that term precious. Big old Peter, precious. But man, he's been changed. This is his Lord and Savior. He's precious, a living stone. But he says this, verse 5, you also as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, every Christian that is growing in their walk with the Lord must realize that you can't go it alone. You can't do it by yourself. We need each other. Peter's saying, you as living stones, as believers in Jesus Christ, you're being built up a spiritual house. Oftentimes we talk about going to church and we think, well, coming to this building here, you know, but, but remember that the, the building is not the church. This is the location that the church meets, but the building is not the church. The people are. Neither is our new building that we're going to get to eventually, the brick building that we purchased on North National Avenue. It's there where the church can meet, but it's not the church. You see, Peter is telling us, as the church, we are living stones and are a part of a great spiritual building project. Every brick, every, every part in the structure is needed, but not one can stand by themselves. It's like, you know, in the same way, every individual stone in any building, no matter what the position is, it's, it's important. Even the absence of one brick in, in the right place would leave an unsightly hole, but then also can cause damage to the structure of the building. I think of the, the new property that we have. There's quite a few bricks that are missing that, that they're going to have to be replaced. But even one brick missing changes the appearance uh, of the property itself. It just doesn't look right. In the same way, the church, the spiritual house being built by God, each individual has a distinct and unique place to fill here in the body of Christ. You have gifts that God has given to you for this body of believers here at Calvary Chapel Springfield. Much like, like you know, the human body, Paul teaches that, that, in fact, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 16 through 21. Paul says this, And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the heat to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. All that to say, every believer has their work to do within the body of believers. Again, back to the brick illustration, if a brick on the back of the property suddenly wants to be the brick on the front of the property, starts hitting the one on the back, okay, they're inanimate objects, it's not going to happen, but you, you know the point. They're both damaged, they get messed up, it's a mess. And it looks bad. It damages the structure in the process. In the same way, we need to recognize the plan that God has for us within the body of Christ, Recognize he's the general contractor and he uses each one of us where he sees best and we shouldn't want to be anywhere else. The best place to be right is right where God has you. 
So number one, realize we are part of something bigger than ourselves, the body of Christ, the church. Every part is needed. Secondly, realize God's plan and present your life totally to God. This takes us to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Jump down to there. Peter tells us, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to realize that not only in God's plan are we members of his church, but God calls us priests. Now, please don't call me Father Tom, and I won't call you, you know, Father whatever. That's not what Peter is saying here. Nor is Peter saying we need to go back to the time of animal sacrifices as the priests of the Old Testament performed them. That system ended with Jesus Christ when he died on the cross once and for all and paid the ultimate price for our sins. Rather, we are to offer ourselves to the Lord in complete dedication and service. We are a chosen generation, Peter says, a royal priesthood. That means we need to give ourselves completely over to the Lord. Our bodies, our minds, our abilities, our potentialities are all to be turned over to Him. Everything we do, every day in our lives, is to be offered up to the Lord. Our time of worship together, our hours at work, at the office, in the factory, at school, our free time at home. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we belong to Him. They belong to Him. Paul put it well in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You hear people say, well, you know, he's in full-time Christian work, or she's ministering full-time at the church. Listen, we're all ministering full-time, wherever we're at, wherever God has placed you. Every believer should consider God's service his or her main purpose in life. We're no longer to walk in that darkness. We're not to go back to those old ways. We're to renounce sin, return to the Word, and realize God's plan for our lives. Finally, number three, we're to realize God's plan for us is to bring praise and honor to Him. Again, look at verse 9. Peter points out here that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The word proclaim means to, to, to tell out, means to advertise. That word for praises here means to eminent qualities or excellencies. Because the world is in the dark. People need to know the excellencies of God. But they need to see it displayed in our lives. We should proclaim, tell out, advertise the eminent qualities, the excellencies of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, our lives should be walking billboards, advertising the virtues of God and the blessings of the Christian life. We should radiate His marvelous light, as Peter says, into which God has graciously called us as we bear witness to His glory and grace. He says, because we're living stones. You've heard of the rolling stones. We're living stones. Rolling stones, they look half dead, but, but living stones. See, we were controlled once by Satan, the God of this world. We walked in that darkness. We walked in the, in the deadness of sin. We lived under guilt and condemnation, and they weighed heavy on us, and we were helpless and afraid. But then the Lord called us out of that darkness into His marvelous light, and by faith we met our Savior. And He who is the light flooded our souls with His incredible love. We were instantaneously reborn, living stones, made citizens of heaven, given new life, eternal life. And now we are growing in Christ every time we break a sinful habit and renounce sin. Every time we turn away from the distractions in this world and return to God's Word. Every time we understand God's plan for our lives, we grow. But in the process, it affects other peoples around us. You see, they see your life changing. And the result is that men and women who are lost in darkness, blinded by sin, will see 
Jesus, the light of the world, his marvelous light, and will come to know them as Savior, know Christ as Savior for themselves through our witness. Listen, God has given us that new nature in Christ, that new life. He expects changes to happen. He expects us to grow and mature in his love and his grace. To do so, we must renounce sin, return to the word of God, and realize God's plan for our lives. So as we close, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I growing as a Christian? Am I allowing God to make those changes in my life? Am I digging in his word and hearing his word and allowing those changes to come into my life? Is this growth process a part of my life? Is it a reality in my life? If not, it's time to make a change. To cast aside what's there, to sin to the old life and return to Jesus Christ, allow him to make that transformation in your life as you yield to his spirit. Maybe this morning you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Recommit to studying his word. Start craving it once again. You'll be blessed by that. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you, what are you waiting for? When you see how much God has done for you, how much Jesus loves you. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, the elders will be up front. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful to change our lives. But we have to obey it, Lord. We have to do what your word says. Doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. And so, Lord, as we see here that we're to lay aside these, these sins, Lord, maybe we're not full-blown into these sins, but maybe some of these things have crept back into our lives since we've been saved. Maybe there's some, some envy, some malice, some ill will towards one another, some hypocrisy. Lord, I know at some point in my life I'm guilty of all these things. Lord, would you forgive us of that? Help us to make those changes by the power of your Holy Spirit as we dig into your word and we see what is good, that we would do those things in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this time together, Lord. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to make a commitment to you, to surrender their hearts to you, that they would do so this morning. We thank you for your spirit changing, making those changes in our lives. Go before us this week. Help us to be that example, that reflection of the marvelous light of our Savior, Jesus Christ to this dark world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.